we're starting this podcast and this is brand new so uh, everything's brand new about it so we're, we're gonna we'll do our best it's probably a good idea to start podcasts with those disclaimers that you know we like our employers very much and none of the things that we're about to say are the views of our particular employers so don't sue them if you don't like what we're talking about my my name is jeremiah buckley and i uh 20 years of experience in the tech industry a lot of it in management um, now it's more as a solutions architect and spent a lot of time uh, in the financial side of things trying to get products to go from those big monolithic products to the much more cool and nicer uh, you know high speed little tiny containers and services and uh, things like that and so I uh, have a lot of uh, things to talk about in terms of trying to get your technology transformed and your teams to work together and the culture to be right and that's what I want to talk about Great. So I'm, uh, I'm Vince Sagranis. I work along with Jeremiah here at Red Hat. I've also been in IT for about 20 years in uh, just a massive range of different roles, starting out in IT security, then software development and architecture, and then managing teams. A long time in the aviation industry, and then in the healthcare and insurance space for about the last six years. So both, uh, both industries that have a lot of legacy IT that have to run stuff 24 by 7, and uh, you have to kind of maximize what you can get done. Yeah. Talking so, about all things IT. Well, awesome. So today, uh, Vince, we, we thought that the, the thing to talk about would be trying to get uh, good estimates because, of course, uh, it's a, a pretty uh, traditional caricature of development teams that they're going to estimate that it's going to take about three to four weeks to solve a particular problem, and then it takes roughly four years and takes the entire budget of, say, the state of Rhode Island to get it done, and they said they could do it over the weekend, things like that. And uh, but yeah, people seem to be terrible at, at doing estimates, and the more important the project, the, the worse the estimates get. <laughs> so, so the question is, like, what, what kind of you know, strategies uh, should we go through to try to, to do a better job estimating projects and uh, you know, being able to, to come up with some good, good numbers that we can actually act on? Well, first, I always try to look at and get context for who's asking for this estimate and what it's going to be used for. I, you know, the, the companies that I've worked for, right, there's some, something that's happening in the business cycle, right? We have to have a new insurance offering next year or somebody's going to talk to a customer and they, they want to make promises. So I always try to first empathize with who are the people who are looking for these things and what are the pressures that they are under, Right? Are they getting killed in the marketplace and they, they need to be able to go in and, and hold their head high and say, oh, I have a product that I'm proud of here. Yeah, that makes yeah. sense. And when it's due, that's a, that's a really good point. You know, um, some, something that you're sort of putting out there for uh, some sort of trade group uh, that, that can be a little bit more vague might be, might be an easier estimate to give than if you're giving it to a particular client who's doing some particular targeted upgrade, targeted rollout, and they, they need yeah. uh, on their end to have something to, to, uh, to their clients on a get, you know, Thanksgiving, this thing has to be in place. Otherwise, Black Friday is going to go down in place. That's right. So first, that's like, that's like the macro picture of it. Then when it comes down to any given estimate, I, I've talked to people outside of IT, right? So non-technologists about, about estimation and they, they don't understand why it's complicated, right? Or why software engineering is maybe different from physical engineering. And, and if you went to any sort of general contract or anybody in the construction industry and said, I want a four bedroom house with three bathrooms, how much is that going to cost? Right? They're going to look at you and say, that's a massive range, right? That could be 
$50,000 and that could be $2 million, right? Depends on so many factors. First, where, right? Is there, are, are there even roads running to where this is? Is it off the side of a cliff? I, right. I basically, I want it to look exactly like that other house over there that everyone likes to go hang out in. That's kind of what I want, except of course better. That's, right. that's but, what I want. But that's great, right? So <laughs> even when it comes to software, right? If somebody said, oh, take this existing system that you've already built and make, make this new one almost exactly the same, we'd be able to give amazing estimates for that, right? Because then we're only understanding the difference and we will have learned how to do it, you know, maybe a little bit better from the last time we did it. Uh, to be clear, I want it the same, but better. So right, that's right. We want, that, <laughs> we want the second system house. Right, right. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Much better than that first system. Yeah. Got all the new stuff. So yeah. So, no. But you have to think about, about those types of factors, right? So even when it comes to software estimation, parallel to construction, right? What's the site like? Is there, is there existing power or septic running to this site? Has it gone through government permits? Right? Think of that as like the bureaucracy that you have to go through. Sometimes those are things, those are things that are different in every state and they're going to be different in every, every company. Right? So yeah. what is that context? Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, a good idea might have to get through security and it might take a lot <laughs> longer to get through the security team than you're expecting. A traditional way of getting through security, of course, is to start talking to security about six months before anything was due because you just sort of figure they would take that long for them to get it, get it you know, onto their calendars and get it sorted out <laughs> and things like that. Uh, because if you, if, you tried to, if you tried to talk to the security team anytime within two months of, of release, you're just gonna be in so much trouble. Yeah. Being said, well, so the other, the other option is you can wait about two weeks before release and then go in there with the business owner and, and tell security, you guys have to rubber stamp this. Otherwise, you're gonna be the ones responsible for, for us not meeting our business objectives. Oh, that is a strong, that is a really, strong arm tactic. Yeah, yeah. You that's a, that's a very popular time. that's a very popular method of doing security. And the security teams love that. They, yeah. <laughs> they, they love they love trying to do a quick turnaround on But uh, but think of security, right? As as just one part of that estimation process, right? So if you have an inspector who's never done an inspection before, right? He's gonna have the book there with him. It's gonna take a lot longer and he's probably gonna be struggling and, and working really hard to find something to to make him feel like he's done his job properly. Whereas sometimes a, a seasoned inspector will come, be able to glance at those things, know exactly what to look for as wrong in those plans, and it's going to be a very quick process. Yeah. So take this back to you know software estimation. Yep. So you, you you got these you got these um, the problem I have with most software estimation projects related to your various inspectors is that I'm almost always the new inspector in that analogy because. They're always sort of like, hey, you did this great job on this you know, accounting system. Uh, now we need a video game. Since you did a good job with accounting, video games also computers, so knock yourself out. You know, how many months are we talking? Yeah, so how do, how do you go about that? Like you're, you're, you know, you're kind of brand new to the territory. It's, a, it's a, just a green field out there. And, and they're like, this has to eventually you know, be this amazing house, well, like the house down the street, but better with all the new features. So I think people come in with two different approaches on, on the business side. One approach may be we have X amount of money. We have $3 million budgeted to accomplish something in this, in this space, to either develop a new product or to enhance a product that we have. And the question is, how much can we get for that money? The other approach is we've got this crazy deadline 
maybe it's a crunch mode type project, right? And we've got six months, how much is it going to take to meet all our objectives, right? How much is it going to take to build this within that time period? Yeah. And they're very, they're very different approaches. Yeah. But still, they, they, they still have the same problem, right? Isn't that you have to, you have to have a good estimate. Uh, yeah. Cause your estimate, your estimate can go back and forth a you know, hundred, you know, units of uh, development time will either develop this amount of feature or will cost this amount yeah. of money. Um, and you'll, you'll get, you know, you'll get some sort of feature for it, but it's. Um, so, you know, I always look at it. All right. What is it? What is it we're building here? How much of this is, is entirely new. And, you know, if, if there's nothing here that's novel, right? If these are all components that, that we understand well, we're using technology that, that we're really experienced with, you know, and, and that we're building features or, or functions that, you know, that, that are pretty well understood. We're not trying to develop a new algorithm or, or solve some novel problem. It's, it's much easier to estimate. So I, I'd, I'd start to look for where are, where are going to be the corner cases here? Am I going to have to use some new tool or something that's going to introduce risk? And I'd also look at it from the perspective of, you know, do I have all the skills necessary to build this, this thing? Does my team have all the skills necessary? Or does our system here in the organization require us to work with 20 other teams, which, which is an externality that we can't necessarily control for in terms of timelines? At the same time, right? If I don't have all of the, the skills in my team, can I bring in people who have those skills? If, like you, if you were developing a house and you've got this crazy requirement to, to build Iron Man's house, right? Like off the side of this cliff on the ocean somewhere, and, and you've only ever done wooden framing before, well, you're going to have to get somebody who can do steel construction and work with pretty heavy duty stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> and, no, that makes sense. Most of the time, it's going to be the worst case, right? I mean, that, that's, that's the problem that people are running into these days is that they are, uh, they're having to build this new stuff and it's going to be uh, microservices that are containerized. It's going to be uh, somehow API interfacing with third party yeah. products that they don't even, you know, the, you know the, those guys are maybe building out their APIs just for this particular problem. And so all those, all those things are coming into play. And, some of the developers are like, "Hey, we're going to use these products, and they're mostly written in Go, and and you know, writing extensions to them in Go is going to be the <laughs> fastest way to go forward." That being said, none of us actually knows Go. We have seen some YouTube videos that looks awesome. I think we can do this. It's going to be great. So all all those things tend to come into yeah. play. And, yeah, that's and so, that's the situation where you know everything's going to go wrong. Okay, <laughs> all right, but but like you still have to come up with an estimate. So some things there that, that I like to sort of bring out to people is that they're, they're always going to sort of misestimate the amount of time it's going to take to link all these things together networking wise, because it's very easy to look at the, the things you like in a microservices environment. It's very easy to look at the various pieces you understand. Hey, this is, this is a piece that's going to be, you know, identity. This is the piece that's going to be, uh, you know, doing querying and reports and, you know, assembling information from, from the, from the database. And over here is, you know, the, the graphics piece, whatever, you know, I, I got these things and I know how they work. I can sort of hook a pipe into one end and it's going to produce a result at the other end. But that bit of hooking the pipes in between all the various pieces, that is that always takes longer than people expect. Those connecting pieces, especially as you get into a microservices world, people like to think that that is not something they have to estimate for. It's kind of yeah. loose change in the whole operation. And if you just sort of, you know, as long as you're doing the rest of it, 
well, the connection bit is, oh, I just had to sort of expose an API on this end and call an API on the other end, and that we're good, right? Yeah. And, and and that that's a real that's a real problem with microservices development that people are just sort of generally uh, it generally kind of blindsides them at the end. And then related to that is containers, right? Containerized development, containerized delivery. Mm-hmm. Um, again, that's a piece that uh, it's it's sold as a very sort of fast, easy to easy to to go through with operation uh, when you're just kind of rolling out a bunch of containers and and like after it's after it's done after that whole system is in place and it's just running like a you know a high a high end sports car purring like a kitten it's awesome things work great but that process of getting to that point as you as you were saying like sort of the tooling involved that is a lot more work than people generally estimate for Right. So. Yeah. And I've seen the same thing happen in terms of monolithic systems, right? Where, you know, you, you look at the, the larger whole and deconstruct it into different modules for different teams to work on and they don't all line up. Right. And then you have to go through just shocking amounts of integration testing. And then everybody has to iterate to try to get that. Oh, yeah. Because people have like set up like little harnesses to test their particular piece and, and yeah. then they can demo it to their manager. Hey, this piece works. Right. And then they, they hook it into the other system, you know, inside the monolith, right? They hook, hook it up to the other system and that system's making calls in a completely different way than their little harness. And then yes. they, they all get in a room and they point fingers at each other and say, well, there's definitely your fault, not mine. Uh, to that, right? Like the thing to focus on is making sure the, the contracts, the interfaces between those, those pieces, right? The, the abstraction point is really well thought out, right? That there's a coherent design for those things amongst the system. And, yeah, and that doesn't yeah. happen by accident. And generally, I, it fails by committee as well, right? Because it requires so much more iteration. But yeah, but, that makes sense. You know, to the I mean, that, that, right? that's the thing we're we're definitely moving towards, right? Is is that sort of you know API driven uh, development where the the rock solid, most tested, most understood part of the system is the API layer, and then what you build underneath it or, or build against it is different. But you know, yeah, that's that's so, that changes more. Yeah. So to the initial point, right, when somebody comes in and says, oh, I need to build a system and it's got to have all of these attributes, right? And, and we find it's all this crazy technology that we've never used before. I try really hard not to give them an estimate, right? Because the first thing that's going to happen is they're going to anchor to that. And then anything else is going to be unacceptable and you're going to always be struggling to change that. So I first try to say, can we get some time here to do a proof of concept so we can take some of the uncertainty out of that estimate? And in some environments, I see people able to give not just a number at that initial point, but a big range. And you know what? Actually, that comes back to something you were you were talking about a lot earlier, where you were saying, "Hey, you know, who's who's asking for this estimate? You know, what are they what are they asking for it for? You know, some product manager needs to go deliver it to someone else." And and that's like, "Hey, can we do a proof of concept? Can can we can we uh, you know get something up and running to see whether or not this is going to work at all?" That's a real like sort of agile development type of concept. Yeah. And that is definitely something that I feel that as much as possible needs to sort of push up the chain and socialize with the product managers as much as possible. There is a, a tradition of coming up with a number, you know, July 1st is when we're going to roll out this particular feature or you know, March 1st is when the, when the big, uh, when the big trade show happens, we're going to have these things out there. And so, so, so that is a tradition on the product manager side uh, of, Hey, this is how I, sort of show my value to the company uh, that I'm able to hit these dates in this particular time. And it does seem worthwhile to sort of push that 
agile development idea out to them. They don't yeah. have to make promises the way they, they did in the 80s of like, hey, here's how we're going to like, this date is going to have this feature, right? You can, you can, as a product manager, explain to your customers, hey, this is how this process works. We're going to get something out there that's going to be somewhat working and give you an idea how, you know, how it works and then get feedback from you and then alter it based on feedback, uh, which is a different way to interact with customers than people have in the past. So. Well, that's interesting, right? Because the, that idea itself long predates Agile. I don't know if you've ever read uh, The Mythical Man Month by Fred Brooks, right? <laughs> Classic, I don't think I've read it, but I've done, of course I've, I know about it. <laughs> I would encourage everybody here to read this, right? But one of the things Fred Brooks published in that book, I think in the 70s, like maybe 1975, was that you're going to need to build one and throw it away, <laughs> right? Even for okay. monolithic yeah, systems, yeah. right? You're going to have to build parts of that just to understand the requirements. And that also helps negotiate some of those requirements because sometimes people think they want something until they actually see it, right? And then yeah. it's very different from that. But okay, so so agile is better than better at selling that same idea because it's really hard to explain to to you know someone writing checks that we're going to build one yeah. of these and we're going to throw it away, right? They're like, no, 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 I don't, I don't want to do that with my money. <laughs> right. Uh, true, right. They, whereas they Agile is much more like, we're going to listen to the customer and, and, you know, iterate with the customer. Yes. Eventually we'll throw the first one away, but yeah. <laughs> like it'll be iteration. Yeah. yeah. Well, even there in Agile, right. That gets, it gets dangerous when, you know, we, we start to build something like a proof of concept to understand the problem space or to understand a bit of technology and then don't get to throw it away. What we end up doing, right, is spending so much time trying to refactor and maintain that. And mm. we're not doing it with this fresh mindset of actually having learned some of those lessons. You get kind of down in the weeds there and, and don't see the whole forest. And you just keep trying to hack at that one idea to make it work rather than yeah. just throwing it out and saving yourself a lot of time. I agree with you. That is something to bring up to, you know, uh, the people running the finances, but it is a, t- <laughs> it is a tough one to sell. Uh, well, it's actually where I, I've encouraged IT teams that, that have even worked for me is go skunk works, right? Take this off the books, have the architect and one or two lead developers fill up a couple of sprints with, you know, stories to figure something out and have them go mm-hmm. prototype to try to figure it out. Right. The, I mean, the danger there, right, is that you know, like the, the the development teams will say they're doing one thing and, and in reality, they're doing something else. And a good manager can sort of be the integration point between people who are expecting product and, and the developing teams who are who are spinning as fast as they can to try to figure out how to get this thing to work. But, it, it, you know, it can it can be difficult. The, the development team can run away from you at that point. Right. They, they can just be constantly. Hey, I have to you know, I have to make sure that this thing works across uh, multiple uh, cloud regions, right? Because we are eventually going to want to scale to massive yeah. size. And you're like, well, yeah, but we don't have to solve like that problem. Doesn't have to be the problem that holds up delivery of the initial product. You know, so so yeah. the developers, you got to be careful with that. Yeah, and to that point, right? I've also had had teams tell me, oh, we have to go build the tools that'll help us build the tools, right? And and yeah, that and that seems. That seems like a, a story that is more palatable as, as someone who's financing this operation. I'm like, okay, well, you, if you're building the tooling in order to actually build the product, that's a reasonable use of your time as opposed to we're going to try a bunch of stuff 
like I'm all for experimentation, right? Obviously, uh, the, the, the best companies, the, the places everybody want to work, they have a, an enormous amount of experimentation. Failure is also a, a way you can learn and um, things like that. So, so I'm definitely all for it. It's just sort of coming up front with the very, the way you said initially, it sounded more like we're going to build this entire thing out and then it's going to fall over and then we're going to build a better one, yeah. which is honestly how thousand, you know, 95% of development actually happens. <laughs> That's true, but I, I would say what sells better, right, is the idea that, you know, we're going to do a two or three week or maybe a month POC mm -hmm. and we're going to have everybody in the team use this as an experience, one, to, to start learning this new technology, to also to, to gel as a team, right? So mm -hmm. like if you're, if you're, back to the house analogy, right? If it's a whole bunch of people who've built houses before, they're going to be better at people who've never worked together, right? Yeah. So sometimes, right, even that POC phase is a way for that team to figure out how do we work together? I like that. I like that way of, way of sort of pitching it at that times. Because it's, it, you know, obviously one of the problems you have is as you're sort of working with a new team, again, we're sort of coming up with sort of a worst case scenario of you have, you know, a crazy project uh, teams you're, you're sort of not sure about their skills all this kind of stuff how are you going to come up with a good estimate is yeah, yeah def definitely need to sort of understand your team uh and, and you understand like those developers who are sort of super excited about themselves and love love doing stuff and then wildly underestimate how long it's going to take them to do stuff right like you love those guys they're, they're doing a great job you want them to keep crushing it but uh you know you just take the estimate you're like okay that's going to be like times 2.5 and well, that'll be the real, so that'll be the real number <laughs> when it comes down to it for estimation purposes right you you, you think of this whole thing as as a progress bar of 100 percent and the question is well, how fast can we move that needle to, to get to that end state? And the factors, right, that go into having that, that real productivity for the team, right, are they all know the technology really well. They all know each other really well. They, they've got clear processes that, that they all understand, right, that you're taking away all these novel things and these things that are variables. They know, and, they know what they're actually they're building. Economy, right? They, they know what they're actually building. They built the POC yes. and then the, the product managers have been like, no, 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 no. This is nothing like what I wanted. First of all, it has to house 30 families, not one family. And it has to be six stories. You're like, you, you wanted us to build an apartment building. <laughs> they're like, no, yeah. Uh, you know? So yeah, they have to, they often in the, pro, the process of building a POC, they get a better understanding of what they're actually trying to build. As a, <laughs> you know? And so explaining this to business people usually works pretty well, right? When you can say, what we have to do is eliminate some of the variability here. We have to lock some of these decisions down and, and then we can give a much better estimate. That usually works pretty well. I like that. And that, that is definitely something that, you know, if you're doing these, these sprints and you're trying to get your, your uh, retrospectives, right. Uh, and you're, you know, it's probably a good idea to be bringing this kind of uh, variability reduction into the retrospective so that people understand that some of the work that you've been doing has been this experimental sort of move forward, try to find, try to figure out where the horizon is kind of thing. And by doing that, you're able to much better, you know, tackle the problems in the next couple of weeks that are coming up and things like that. Um, the, the other thing I would say is that you would uh, definitely want to try to, as much as possible, 
break the problems down into as small a problem as you can possibly figure out because through the law, you know, law of large numbers, you're going to underestimate some, you're going to overestimate others. And if you combine a lot of underestimates and overestimates over time, you're going to average out to something that's a lot closer to reality than if you're just like, how long does it take to build a house? Well, six months, you know, <laughs> you know and, and you might be completely wrong because you haven't really kind of yeah. worked through the details. So. Well, so actually what you just brought up, right, was they call it like three-point estimation technique, right? So give me an optimistic number, a most likely, and a pessimistic, and then I'll just average those together. Okay. Well, yeah, that's, that's another way to do it. No, I, I, um, that, I've used that before too. But no, I, I was saying like sort of try as much as possible in a, in yeah. a brainstorming session or something with your team to, to break up the, the, the yeah. product into as many different small prob- products as possible. And estimate oh, yeah. each of the small products and then yeah right so 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 many discrete stories right right and yeah and if, if you can roll them up the odds of being off are a lot lower than if you just blow it on a big on yeah. one big story you know that's right um, one of the things uh, you know I, I, that i'd point out about stories and estimation is that stuff is really only helpful if you actually see if you look if you only look back in your reviews and say did we actually complete them what percentage of these things are we completing and use that going forward to to either take on fewer stories right or absolutely yeah totally makes sense better yeah the information of points and stories to begin with yeah uh, definitely um, a big part of that is uh, you're going to be better at understanding how bad your estimates are the more times you the more times you see it. Yeah. <laughs> So. You should be, right? And, I, and I've worked with teams, right, who over the course of the year, right, never completed all their stories for any given sprint, never completed all their points. But clearly, like, they're not changing how they're doing that planning or they're not taking on fewer points because, you know, at, at some point that's like asymptotically approaching zero. And, <laughs> so and, so what do you, what, when you talk to them, what do they say about that? Like, what, what, is, their, what is their sort of uh, yeah. justification or this is okay, well, you know, that kind of thing? So I did this, and one time they actually said, "Oh, the agile sucks." And 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 what what you realize, right, is well, is agile right? Is is this being sold by a consulting company in the way they're practicing it here? It did it that again. the people on the team feel like they're in charge of this in some way, or are they just being told to do it a certain way? Right, in yeah. the same way that it would have been with, with any sort of waterfall methodology, are they actually empowered to make changes? And because if they were, right, maybe we would have fixed this problem a month into the year. Yeah, I, I mean, so, so I would that, say that we're probably not really working agile. That goes into a, an entirely different question, which I think we definitely need to pursue. Which is, a lot of people uh, find agile to be sort of an uh, you know untrustworthy mechanism for doing things, something that, they, that is not the standard for, for how to get things done and get extremely you know nervous about agile for a lot of different reasons. And I, I, that is definitely something I do, I do want to talk about over the course of this podcast because uh, there's so many aspects of that that are problematic. Well, I, I, honestly, so some of that get, gets back to, is this a complex problem or have we added complication to it? Right. So how much of this is essential complexity? And it's the same thing with the process, right? Mm-hmm. Is this process making it more complicated? Or yeah. is, is, is the software that we're building really that complex such that we can't estimate it properly? And that's why these things are off, right? It could be that, you know, the team is, is amazing, right? They could all be, you know, 
this like theoretical 10x programmer. It's just that what they're supposed to be building is so complex and nobody's yeah. really ever done this before that there's no possible, you know, like that, that estimation is just so flawed. Yeah, no, I mean, you're right about that. It, it's, as much as possible, the, the prototyping and things like that could help a lot. Um, I, I, I do think you, you often see in companies, they're like, well, we've adopted this new agile methodology and that methodology is just getting in the way of us actually being productive, right? Instead of the, the things that we're building are easy or theoretically easy, but we seem, we can't seem to get out of our own way because we've, we've uh, approached this new thing and it's causing us so many process problems that we can't get it. We can't get anything done. Yeah. But, well, but I, back to, I, I think there's one of those variables, right? Is, you know, does this team understand the process of building software? Do they understand the process of building a house? If it's a bunch of people who've never worked together before and, you know, and don't all know the, the way this, this process is supposed to be working, then mm-hmm. you know, you're going to have a bad time. One of the things that is, you know, Crazy is you're going to have a team with a whole bunch. We should probably talk about this in another podcast. But you have a team with a whole uh-huh. bunch of people of different levels of experience, and there's going to be the one guy who's going to be there. And he's going to go, "I could just do this whole thing myself, uh-huh. right? I'm I'm the 10x programmer. I could do it. Agile is slowing me down, and me by myself could crush this thing faster than this entire team. That guy's yeah, it's a difficult guy to deal with. Yeah. <laughs> And, and, you know, that's actually possible, right? But then the question is, all right, are you going to be able to hand this over to one or two people at the end of this project who are going to be able to extend it over time? Or are you writing it all in obfuscated Perl? Yeah. <laughs> because you know that so well. Right, right, right. And do you want this system to be the rest of your life because nobody else understands it? <laughs> Sometimes they do. <laughs> <laughs> all right. I, I, so... I think that's been about half an hour. How did that feel? That was great. All right, I'm going to end the recording. This is Jeremiah in post-production. That's the end of the podcast. We didn't end it properly because this was new to us. Have a great day.